0: Sports Talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: Jones Show News Radio 1070 WKOK and Sean Carey. Steve will check in in just a moment. From the Sunbury Motors Studio, Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai, North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and Sunbury Motors Kia. On the Strip, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. We invite you to subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. It is available on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Google Play. Just search Steve Jones Show. Hit subscribe. Once our shows air live on WKOK, we can drop them to your smartphone and tablet. You can listen to them anytime, anywhere. And you always have access to three months of shows. We've got them archived. At stevejonesshow.com, you can always zip us an email anytime. Steve Jones at wkok.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle at Steve Jones PSU. So we got another hour of the show to go with you live till five, and then we'll have our late day news roundup with Matt Catrillo this afternoon. Then tonight we'll have Monday Night Football. WKOK 7:30 for the pregame. We'll get the weekly interviews from. New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady and Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald in their weekly Monday night appearances on Westwood One on the nationwide broadcast, leading up to the kick at 8.20 tonight between those Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. First time in 10 years, the Buffalo is hosting a Monday night football game. Play-by-play call of the day. Another trophy heads to Beantown.
2: Sale again, looks in, he's ready. Turns, kicks, fires. Swing into the- the Boston Red Sox, baseball's best all season long. They have won it all, and a celebration begins. They mob Chris Sale, and the dogpile starts third base side of the pitcher's mound. For the fourth time in the last 15 years, the Red Sox are World Series
1: champions. Boog Shambi, the nationwide broadcast on ESPN Radio last night. That big celebration with thousands of fans from Boston who made their way to California. how How about the crowd out at Dodger Stadium reacting every time something great happened for the Red Sox? They were loud. And the Red Sox, they were really great. Team to remember from top to bottom. So if you would have said to me earlier in the year David Price would be pretty much unstoppable... And some guy by the name of Steve Pierce would homer twice to to become the World Series MVP. I would have said, get out of here. Come on. Actually, for people who go to Williamsport Crosscutters games, they know who Steve Pierce is. He played for the Crosscutters for one season back in 2005. And then was with, for a little while, the Altoona Curve. Before getting the call up to the Pittsburgh Pirates a little over a decade ago with seven teams, something like that. Three homers in the last two games of the World Series. So yeah, that World Series did become one-sided for sure. So of course the Red Sox ended that 86-year championship drought in 2004. Tormented for decades and decades, but boy, they have really turned it around, huh? Alex Cora's team, they romped to a 17 and 2 start after losing on opening day. Club, uh, club record, 108 regular season wins. They go 11-3 and three in the postseason. Knocked out the, the New York Yankees. They won 100 games. Blitzed the Houston Astros. They won 103 games. And of course, Alex Cora was a player on the Red Sox 2007 championship team. First manager from Puerto Rico to win a title and just the 5th rookie skipper overall. So Steve Pierce, that 2-run homer, by the way, that was hit off Clayton Kershaw. Other homers by Mookie Betts in the 6th, J.D. Martinez in the 7th, definitely quieted the L.A. crowd, so Kershaw giving up those 3 home runs. So we'll see if he's still going to be with the Dodgers. Uh, more on Steve Pierce he was acquired by the Toronto he was co- acquired from the Toronto Blue Jays back in June so not only did he have those 3 home runs but also 7 RBIs in the final 11 innings of the series players families many dressed in red made their way onto the field after the celebration owner John Henry says this is the greatest Red Sox team in history and after losing to Houston in Game 7 last year by that same 5-1 score, the Dodgers became the first team ousted on its home field in consecutive World Series since the New York Giants by the New York Yankees. At the Polo Grounds 1936-37, and 37, Los Angeles remains without a championship since 1988. Boston outscored the Dodgers 28-16 and only had a slightly better batting average at 222 to 180 but it was all about hitting at the right time Red Sox winning their ninth title tying the Athletics for third most behind the Yankees 27 and the Cardinals 11 so ninth title for the Red Sox all that stood between the Red Sox and a sweep was an 18 inning loss in game three the longest World Series game ever so how late did you stay up Friday night into Saturday morning. I stayed up till a quarter of three. I only made it through 15 innings. (laughs) But our buddy Tom Morgan down the hall from 94KX, big-time Red Sox fan. He claimed he stayed up for the whole game. Yeah, I left here Friday night after doing the high school football stuff over on Eagle 107. And got in the car, found out it was 1-1 in the ninth, so I figured, out oh, this game will be over by the time I get home. But now, extra innings was just getting started, so, so that was fun. Because I knew the more I would sit there and watch it, the more I'm thinking, okay, the, the, something historical could happen. And sure enough, what happened? Uh, Max Muncie with the walk-off in the 18th, and uh, some would say just as important a walk-off home run as Kirk Gibson. But then again, back in 1988, The Dodgers did win the World Series that year. This year, of course, they did not. Big NFL news earlier today. Not one but two Cleveland Browns coaches gone. Hugh Jackson gone. Offensive coordinator Todd Haley. Canned about an hour and a half after Hugh Jackson late this morning. And it's after the Cleveland Browns three-game losing skid derailed a promising start to the season. So defensive coordinator Greg Williams, currently the interim coach, Browns 2-5-1, and one started their season with a tie against the Steelers, but then losing convincingly at Pittsburgh yesterday. Cleveland was 1-15 in, in Hugh Jackson's first season, 0-16 oh, last season. The Browns hired John Dorsey as general manager. Late last season, Dorsey kept Jackson on the coaching staff despite the team's winless season. And there were rumblings that the relationship between Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley deteriorated to the point that a move might have to be made. Haley was in his first season with the Browns after serving as the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive coordinator from 2012 to 2017. Changes that were also made, the development of quarterback Baker Mayfield, the team's number one overall draft pick in mind. Browns owner... Jimmy Haslam said in the statement earlier today, we appreciate Hugh's commitment to the Cleveland Browns over the past two and a half years, but we understand that this is a crucial time period in the development of our team. It's in the organization's best interest to make the move this time in order to maximize opportunities the rest of the season. After the news surfaced of the Browns' changes, Baker Mayfield's college coach, Oklahoma's Lincoln Riley, was asked whether he had any interest in coaching. In the NFL, and Riley said during his weekly news conference, "I knew that was coming." But of course, he said, "I love Oklahoma, love college football, yeah. oh, oh, all yeah, that yeah, stuff." Yeah.
2: So. yeah, they all love. It. They love everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. I know you played the play-by-play cut of. Uh, I think it was John Shombe, wasn't it? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. He, he he. They had a ESPN radio had to make a call to the bullpen. Guess Dan Shulman was a little under the weather, and Boog stepped up. So. <laughs> I just got a text from him.
2: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Only he could text this to me. All right. Uh. Hold on a second. I need to respond to this. Okay.
1: You can say, yeah, it was, yeah, Suit said it was great to, he Suit told me to tell you it was great to catch up with you as well. All right. So I I'm going
2: back to the world series where Dave Roberts where everything gets dictated to him by the front office as to how you uh, as to how you uh manage the game. Okay, can't have him bat, you know, can't have the pitcher out third time through the order. What's the batting order look like? Put the righties out there, put the lefties out there, things like that. Now, Alex Cora also is a guy that is a believer in analytics. He comes out of, and we used the bench coach last year for the Astros. Now we all know the Astros; the analytics plays a role in what they do. But AJ Hinch also does some things on gut feel. And when you look at um, uh, what Alex Cora did, look—you have to have the horses to do it. They're the most talented team. There's no getting around. As I mentioned, the Red Sox have the highest payroll. But they're an interesting build. That's something that Phillies fans should take a long, hard look at. So let's relate this to Philadelphia. Gabe Kapler uh, is an analytics-driven guy all the way through. Early in the season, he followed it so much to a T in the first couple of games that everybody sat back and go, well, "What are you doing?" Okay, and he made adjustments. You made adjustments. But look at what the Phillies have. And now let's talk about the Red Sox. The Phillies have a lot of really good homegrown talent. They rebuilt their farm system, and they have some really good homegrown talent. Okay? Hernandez is homegrown. You know, uh, Kingrey's homegrown. Right? Mikel Franco. I mean, you know, all the way through the guys that they have that have come through their system. A lot of pitchers through the system, too. Uh And the... uh But what they need to do now is they need to add in some people around them that are veterans that can play the game. The Red Sox, yes, have the largest payroll. But the largest payroll is is accurate, but there's more to it than just that. So when it comes to large payroll, obviously David Price has a $217 million contract gigantic so it's a, what 30 million a year he's getting somewhere in that neighborhood okay that was a obviously a gigantic free agent contract jd martinez in a year where they allegedly knocked down the salaries you know when free agents finally sign late at 20 million a year okay there's a free agent signing now part of that payroll is an 8 year contract for dustin pedroya Well, Pedroia played three games this year. But he's still in your salary structure. But is a homegrown guy that they re-signed and kept homegrown. Bogarts is homegrown. Devers is homegrown. Benintendi's homegrown. Betts is homegrown. Bradley's homegrown. Vasquez is homegrown. Swihart's homegrown. Matt Barnes out of the bullpen, homegrown. I mean, you keep going through all this. But they've also been smart about how they have traded. Here's the difference where the the Phillies have to be, have to really be cognizant of this. Do not be afraid to deal prospects for established players. Okay. The Red Sox dealt four players to the White Sox, including their number one overall prospect, Johan Moncada. And they got Chris Sale. You knew what you were getting in Chris Sale. They were not afraid to look at their, their... At one point, the Red Sox had the number four overall minor league system. And let's give Ben Charrington a lot of credit. He's the one that built that part up. They had the number four overall system. When they're done with the trades I'm talking about, they're now at number 20. Okay? So what? So What? I don't care if they're number 20 now. It was worth dropping from 4 to 20 to do this. You not, hardly ever get a chance to win. You've got to figure out a way to, to win. And win. So they 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 made good assessments on their homegrown guys. Okay, quote, we're going to keep Betts. We're going to keep Bradley. We're going to keep Benintendi. We're going to keep Bogarts. We're going to keep Devers. We're going to keep Vasquez. We're going to keep Pedroya, We're going to keep Swihart. Right? Those are the guys they elected to keep. Okay? In fact, their payroll would be even higher right now because they had a guy in the minor leagues they signed out of Cuba. Rosny Castillo was a seven year, $72 million contract. And because of the size of his contract, he's not up with the team, and he was a 300 plus hitter in the minor leagues all year. The only reason he's there is because of contract. Right? They need a guy like Mitch, Mitch, uh, Mitch Moreland, so they signed him. They traded for Steve Pierce. Gave up a minor leaguer. They traded for Nathan Navaldi. Gave up Beeks. Good pitcher, but a minor leaguer. They traded three guys to San Diego. Got Craig Kimbrell. This is how they put this together. They traded uh, Julio Iglesias and one other player in a three-way deal to get Rick Porcello. They picked up Eduardo Rodriguez for the Orioles in a minor league for minor leaguer deal. They got Joe Kelly in a trade where they sent John Lackey to St. Louis. I think they drafted Matt Barnes. Brazier's a guy that was in in Japan and out of baseball until he did a tryout in Arizona. That's how they did this. They did this because they weren't afraid to say, Chris Sale is one of the great pitchers in baseball. What will it take to get him? We'd like four prospects. Which four? Okay, here we go. Now, all four can end up being great, great stars. All four can be. But was it worth it to Boston fans to win in 2018? Absolutely. The whole name of the game is to win it. Those, those, those opportunities are few and far between. Look, it's been 10 years since the Phillies won. It probably feels like a lifetime to you now. You have to figure out... There are a couple things you need to figure out when you're running an organization. Number one, who are the core guys that we have in our system that we can build around that we should be re-signing? Because part of your payroll is also based on who you re-sign that you keep in your organization. Okay. And number two, what do we need to fill in the gaps? Okay. Okay, we've looked at our core group, we've re-signed them. Now who do we need to fill in the gaps? And you should never be afraid to trade your prospects, because guess what the definition of a prospect is? It is a fancy way of saying you haven't done it yet, as opposed to trading for somebody that has done it. Now, if you're in a situation like the Phillies were a few years ago with, okay, let's steal Cole Hamels, let's send him to Texas, let's get a guy like Nick Williams, okay, okay, I can understand that. The Orioles this year were a fire sale. So they're, they're sending people all over the place trying to rebuild their organization again. All right, I understand that because every team is in a different situation. But when you're in the neighborhood where you can really do something, and I give the Dodgers credit, they made a deal for Manny Machado. Well, did it work out where they won the World Series? No. And did Manny Machado have a good good World Series? No. But the Dodgers, if I'm sitting in the Dodgers' front office and knowing what I know now, would I still make the deal? Yes. Absolutely, I'd go for it. I'd, I'd acquire Manny Machado all over again. Now, I don't think the Dodgers are going to re-sign him. That's a different proposition. But in terms of a rental, they gave up five prospects. People that probably are not going to figure in their plans anyway. The Dodgers have more resources than anybody in baseball. So believe me, they can figure a lot of things out. That's why the Kershaw thing in the next three days is going to be interesting, is to see what he does. He hasn't opt out. But there are ways of building it now. And yes, as I mentioned, the Red Sox have the highest payroll in baseball. But a lot of that is... You know, rolled into a couple, like again, part of it's Pedroia's contract, and part of the the price contract is off the off the rails. I mean, obviously it's huge. The Martinez contract for a free agent at 20 million a year. I know it's you know, like 20 million a year, but a lot of people thought he was going to get 30 million a year. All right, but because of how things went, they got him for 20 million a year. Pedroia eight-year deal worth a lot of money. Sale is about I want to say Chris Sale's like 11 million a year. And I want to say, Kimbrel's like 12 or 13 million a year. Porcello is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 13 or 14 million a year. Ivaldi doesn't get that kind of money. Neither does Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, imagine what Betts is. I mean, Betts is still working on his first deal. So's is Benintendi. So is Bradley. I think Bogarts. I think if Bogarts is only 25 years old, he's won two World Championships. Uh, Brock Holt Brock Holt's not expensive but again, the ability to manage the game by feel okay, okay. left-hander Kershaw out there you're going to, have to play your right-handed lineup uh, no, your eyes can see that at this particular moment in this particular week Brock Holt is playing better than Ian Kinsler your eyes can see that I don't need to have an analytic spreadsheet to tell me that Brock Holt's playing better steadier in the field, giving you better at-bats at the plate, not striking out. You can see Devers is playing at a really high level. Kershaw's out there, except Devers can hit Kershaw. Ben Benintendi's a left-handed hitter. Why not start Jackie Bradley, you know? Or, you know, why not start somebody else? Instead he starts Ben Uh All he did was get four hits in two games off of Kershaw, lefty to lefty. And again, what what did the Red Sox do the last two games? They started their best offensive lineup. It wasn't Sandy Leone behind the plate last night, who, by the way, did a heck of a job for them. It was Christian Vasquez. They started their best offensive lineup, and then late in the game brought in defense. And there's... there's you know, And the other part, too, about strikeouts are just like any other out. That's wrong. That is such a dead wrong sabermetrics point. The Dodgers struck out a ton in this series. The Red Sox didn't, which is typical of how the season went. The Dodgers hit a lot of home runs, and they struck out a lot this year. I'll give you a good example about not every out is equal. In the game the Dodgers won, the 18-inning game, Okay, the Red Sox had a chance to win it in the 13th inning. And I want to say, was it Cody Bellinger? hit a foul ball where, because of the shift, Eduardo Nunez had a long run. Nunez caught the ball, but because it was such a long run, his momentum carried him into the seats at Dodger Stadium. Max Muncy tagged up, brilliant play by Muncy, and went to second. And then he scored on the Puig hit to tie the game up again at 2-2. Okay, So was the foul-out by Cody Bellinger like a strikeout where it's just another round? If Bellinger strikes out there, Muncie's still on first and Puig's base hit puts runners on first and third. Red Sox probably win the game. Probably it's a sweep. So this nonsense, and it is nonsense. So the strikeout is like any other round. I'm sorry, to the Sabermetrics world, do you think we're all idiots? Anytime you put the ball in play, the defense has stress on it. And even a foul-out can create a base, which then creates a different opportunity. All right, final half hour coming up. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. We're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, in Hummel's Wharf. We'd love to tell you the Wisconsin kickoff, but TV says we can't.
0: Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones.
2: Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf. And today's show brought to you by the great people at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served this valley for decades. And they've done so because the customer comes first. They find you the right insurance, right price, whether it's auto, home, life, business insurance, whatever it may be. And they take care of you the entire time. Updates on insurance, making sure you're covered, finding better prices for you. They make sure of that all the time. And if you have any questions, boom, they are there to answer them and give you the right answer. Purdy Insurance, Market Street and Summer. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Okay, a uh, question from the email from uh, Tim in Maine. He says, anything from the Temple basketball scrimmage for Penn State basketball? Tim, I got plenty for you. Uh, they, um, the first 20 minutes was played straight out on, um, on Saturday, and then the last 20 minutes they did situational. It was a really, what was really encouraging is that you expect Josh Reeves to play well, which he did. He stuffed the stat sheet. So that's really a plus. John Harrah played well, and Lamar Stevens did what Lamar Stevens does. The big plus came actually out of the backcourt. The three freshmen, especially Rasir Bolden, played really well in combination with Jamari Wheeler. That's where Patrick was. Patrick Chambers was really encouraged by his team, by how they played the scrimmage, with the guards on the floor. So Bolden in particular played well. Dredd played well. Jones really helped out, and Jamari Wheeler really was the catalyst that had you know things going for them. And Josh Reeves fills in all those extra spots that you're looking for. The other guy that was a standout in the scrimmage. Tim is a guy that in the last I'd say let's see I want to say the last 10 days and the last practice I was at was on Monday I'm going to go tonight too but Trent Buttrick whom they really need to be a guy that can fill in at the 5 spot fill in for Lamar Stevens Trent Buttrick has played really well in practice and he, he played very well in the scrimmage on Saturday they'll need that Trent, of course, out of Bloomsburg originally had, you know, sometimes the light flickers, and then all of a sudden, boom, the full switch is hit and the the light goes on. Trent Buttrick, I think the light's going on for him. And that that helps them because he can give them valuable minutes at those two spots. Next up for Penn State basketball will be the charity exhibition for Hurricane Relief, which will be Saturday at West Virginia. And when they go to the clamshell in Morgantown, I think this is going to be great for those young guards because you know West Virginia is going to come at them with 94 feet of pressure. So I think it's going to give them a real education about what they need to work on, but it's also going to give them an education if they do well about maybe infusing a little extra confidence in them if they can do well against that kind of pressure, which West Virginia is really good at. So that's the report, Tim, on the scrimmage that took place uh at Temple on Saturday. So or wherever it was, I have no idea where it was. Wasn't here. Uh but yeah. So yeah, that's that's how it went. Uh first twenty in Penn State the first twenty minutes where well, they just played like straight basketball and in a scrimmage setting went really, really well. Now in the now in the second half they put some combinations out there I think they still, from understand, I think they still did really well. But they also put some combinations out there to see um, because it's a scrimmage. But it was straight up. Let's play some straight up basketball. See how it goes. Well, straight up and how it goes went really well. Uh, And again, Butrick played well. Reeves played really well. Herod did. Lamar did well as you expect. Uh, But it was the guards. Wheeler. Dread, Bolden in particular, and Jones that really had solid solid scrimmages for Penn State. Bolden had some some big shots for them, I guess. So I hope Tim that answers your question. We are here to help. We often get questions from Maine, Sean. More than just lobsters. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you a lobster guy? Or?
1: I am not. Uh, with seafood, it's just kind of like haddock, you know, shrimp, clam strips. That's pretty much my my like main three. It's,
2: like, like if it's fried, you're in.
1: <laughs> you know me well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
2: You know the funny thing is about lobster. I don't like this about, about a lot of foods. Okay? If I have a baked potato, I just have the baked potato. I don't put anything on it. If I have corn in the cob, I just eat the corn in the cob. I don't put anything on it. And the same thing with lobster. When I eat lobster, I just eat lobster. I don't dip it in butter or anything. I don't do it. Now, I know that sounds odd, but for some reason, they all taste just fine to me the way they are. I don't put butter or anything you know and, I, and the other part is I don't salt anything. I salt nothing. because it already tastes good enough to me without the salt so I don't salt it. Jack and I were talking about this because Jack and I were talking about diet Jack Jack's diet is he has, he takes such incredible care of himself uh, and he, he, you know he's on he, you know, he and Joanne are on, on an interesting diet right now. But again, the diet makes complete sense. Because so much of what we have in our food is already there. You know, When I mean, we were talking about this on the bus going over to Indiana, I know all of you think that we sit there and we talk about, so what do you think? How often are they going to blitz? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's uh, We don't do that stuff. Uh, and And Jack was talking about you know, oil and food and so forth, and about um, about that. And I was mentioning, hey, look, I don't salt anything. I said, yeah. I said, no, we eat dinner on the road. I said, you see, he said, yeah, you don't put any butter or anything. On it. I said, no, because it tastes fine the way it is. Okay, so another email. This is from Greg. Uh, dear stupid, I mean Steve. Not the way I thought would should start, Sean. <laughs> Aren't you
1: editing these? I was going to say. Wait, I didn't see that in there. No. <laughs> Steve, no, Jones from... at Steve Jones at WKOK.com. That's our email address. Yeah. So,
2: uh, This one's from Greg. Should college players be paid? Are universities required to spend football profits on other sports? I guess I got to take this one step at a time here. He has a lot of questions here. Okay. So let's get to it. Should college payers, players be paid? I don't think so. I think the stipend's enough. Okay. But I'll expand further here. Are universities required to spend football profits on other sports, or can they use that money for academic scholarships? Uh, It's done within the realm of the athletic department. It goes into a fund, and then each sport has budgets. So, Because Penn State is autonomous, Penn State's athletic department budget is autonomous from the university. So that's why the money brought in stays cycled in other schools it may be different but no it does not go to academic scholarships couldn't they also just take the money and lower tuition for everyone and again it goes back to the fact that penn state does not take penn state's athletic department does not take money from the university so since penn state's athletic department does not take money from the university no they don't have to now they pay money back into the university for example the jordan center the basketball team has to rent. That's you now so they, the money goes outside the athletic department to do that. But no, uh, why is it fair? Why is it fair to me as a non-athlete that a good swimmer or field hockey player pays less to go to school than me? So yeah, if the football players earn the money, give it to them and drop other sports. Okay with me? All right. Okay, great. Fair, all fair questions. Very fair questions. Um. Uh, Again, it goes back to how Penn State... let us uh, I can't really speak to models at other universities, Greg, because models in other universities do do involve getting money from the university at large, from the general fund at times, and maybe even part of the state fund. But Penn State's model is different. Penn State's model is an autonomous one. So the money brought in by television... Radio ticket sales, goes into the budget to then pay the bills of the athletic department itself. So they don't go to academic scholarships, but they also don't take any money from the university at large to go to scholarships. They don't take any money from the university at large for food or for tuition or for books. They don't take any money from the university at large. So the university is not tapped for money, And the university then can have the money to then go. So the university budget, all right, is not drained at all by athletics. Athletics is meant to be a self-sustaining budget at Penn State. Uh, Why is it fair to me that as a non-athlete that a good swimmer or field hockey player pays less to go to school than me? And again, it goes back to where the money goes. Uh, So the money that comes in, it's a socialistic model, Greg. And again, it's a very good question. Uh, Because I think if you do pay football and men's basketball players, because essentially those are the only two sports that make money at Penn State. I think hockey makes a little bit of, men's ice hockey, makes a little bit of a profit. Men's basketball makes a profit. Football makes a profit. But that money all goes into the general athletic fund. And the NCAA then tells you how many scholarships you're allowed to have. Let's take wrestling, for example. Years ago, when they dropped uh, men's basketball, the 13 scholarships from 15, and they dropped football from 95 to 85, something like that, now at 85, they then put together a 10% scholarship reduction across the board. So wrestling had been at 11 Okay, well, with the 10%, 11, okay, that's 1.1. So wrestling gets 9.9. Ah, Men's volleyball has like four-point-something. But all that scholarship stuff, some are halves, some are holes, some are fulls, some are quarters, all right? It all comes out of what the athletic department generates. The athletic department does not, Greg, get a dime from the university. In fact, as I mentioned, in terms of rents, like renting the Jordan Center and things like that for a practice, for an office, that money goes from the athletic department to another university entity. And, um, and that's how it works. And I think it's a very fair question you ask when it comes to tuition. It's a very fair question you ask, Greg, when it comes to lowering tuition. And in general, I think it would be a great conversation if Penn State did not have the model it has. But because the athletic department is autonomous, that means they they bring in their money, they then circulate that money among their 31 sports and obviously the administrative needs of the athletic department. So that's why they keep it there. That way there's no drain at all on the university. There's no drain. So there isn't a dime coming out of the university general fund that goes to the athletic department. I hope that answers your question, Greg. I hope I hope that does because that's a uh, that's a really good question. You make some really interesting points and it's always good to get answers. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. All right, this is how it breaks down by sport. Okay, baseball gets 11.7 scholarships. Basketball get men's basketball gets 13. Women's basketball gets 15. Uh, cross country, uh, and this is in conjunction with track and field gets 12.6. Fencing gets 4.5. Football gets 85. FCS football gets 63. Golf gets 4.5. Gymnastics gets 6.3. Ice hockey gets 18 scholarships. Lacrosse, 12.6. Soccer, 9.9. Swimming and diving, 9.9. Tennis gets 4.5 scholarships. Uh, Volleyball gets 4.5 scholarships. Wrestling gets 9.9. So you've got a lot of quarters... Halves and fulls in there to get to these numbers. Uh, Women's volleyball, by the way, gets 12, okay? So men's volleyball gets 4.5. Women's volleyball gets 12 scholarships. Women's basketball gets 15 scholarships. Field hockey gets 12. Uh, Let's see. What else is in here? Um, Cross country and track and field, 18. Fencing gets 5 on the women's side. Women's ice hockey gets 18. Soccer gets women's soccer gets fourteen. Softball gets a dozen. Women's volleyball gets a dozen. Okay. See, it's a little different on the men's side to get there. Four and a half for men's volleyball. Tennis four and a half. Lacrosse twelve point six. Let's see what women's lacrosse is. Yeah, twelve. Same. Close. Uh, gymnastics six point three. Women's gymnastics gets twelve. Okay. uh, 12.6, men's across, women's across, 12. Field hockey's 12, women's basketball's 15, men's basketball's 13. So that gives you an idea of what the scholarship numbers are. But I thought Greg asked a really good question. Um, And I understand exactly where Greg is coming from. But again, if you have an autonomous model where the money is circulated within... And you don't take money from the university or the state. That's how you're able to keep it within the realm of athletics. So Penn State's not taking money from the university to run the athletic department. They are autonomous while the university has oversight on what they're doing. Patriots and Bills tonight. Monday Night Football at 7.30. And Merrill Hodge on the show Wednesday. What a fascinating segment that's going to be. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street, in Sunbury.
0: Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.